0: So it's with great, great pride, I think, and pleasure, I'm going to introduce you to Maurice Cabiria, who is once was my student, is now my friend and colleague. Um, come up. time I've t- been allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Prisoners, you have to be careful, but do free. Okay, the, the floor is yours. I'm going I'm to leave that one on, so you might be double sound, but that's fine. Okay.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Um, first of all, maybe, maybe I can say mm-hmm. I've been sent by guys in this prison that's committed maximum prison in Kenya. They say I passed the aggregates to you uh, this afternoon. I'm here to speak about my life. When I was a child, a young boy, my mother used to cook for us and we used to observe her cook. And most of the times I would see her get beans, get maize, get things which she was to use to cook and prepare the food roll as it was so that she could take it to the, the, the pot or the sofuria and cook. And then I, would, I noticed that um, when she was looking at the beans and those siblings, she would pick some from which were bad, which to her were not edible, and she would draw them away. And then she would cook the better parts. And the seeds she would draw away outside our house. and. Sometimes when it rained, those things would grow. And they would grow to become other things. She discarded them and threw them away. And then all of a sudden, they become edible again. They become good products again. So this is what happened to my life. In 1993, I was employed as a police officer. In Kenya and I was very eager to serve the society and to serve it well. I was born a person who wanted always in my life to assist people. I remember when I was a child I would take away food from home and take to children who were not able to get food in their homes because that was my heart and my parents were like so too. So when I went to the police force, I thought I was going to um, help the society grow and help people assess justice, but then when I went to college, I found a different um, environment because uh, in college, the way we are being trained was not the way I expected to be trained. I also wanted to learn some things about the law, it fascinated me, I, I was fascinated by what I saw about law, and I wanted to learn more about it. But then. In college I was taught some other things and I grew up with those things which were instilled in me by my instructors. At the time I didn't realize that they might affect my life. I thought they were training me to become a good officer and so um, unfortunately when still in college just about five weeks I took my first bribe And I was told that's how it is, and that's how we do things here. And it was a normal uh, thing to do to us, and we never thought that it could affect anyone or even us. And uh, it was a way of life. It was the tradition in the police force in Kenya to take bribes. So I used the bribes to bring up my family, take care of myself, and to live well. Then one day I went and took a bribe, but this time around, I decided not to take the bribe, to, um, or rather to uh, share the, the, the process of the bribe with my boss. He got mad at me and decided to come back and revenge, kind of, and he had me arrested. I was charged in court on a friend of charge of robbery with violence and taken to prison. Before then, I was a police officer, a powerful one. I could stop you. I could search you any minute. I could open your house at any hour of the night or day. I had the power of law in my hands, and I, I was taking people to prison. But every time I took people to prison, I would just reach out the gate, have them get inside, but I never look behind the gate to see or to realize or to know what happens behind it. I didn't want to know what kind of life people live in prison. So this time around, things changed. Rose reversed and I found myself behind that door, the same door. The same place I was taking people to and here I was meeting the same people I took to prison. And taking prison officers to prison and taking members of public to prison. And that is the community which I found in prison as a police officer. You can imagine what kind of reception I got when I arrived at the prison. It was not something to talk about. It was really bad, a tough life. Um, I stayed in that life for eight good years undergoing trial. I had to listen or to have, undergo um, five witnesses. I didn't have any presentation. I wasn't able to pay for my advocate. It was too expensive for me. Um, I was arguing on um, uh, one important issue in my case. No one could listen to me. I depended on it for my defense, but the court couldn't listen. Everything was tilted against me. After eight years, I was convicted and sentenced to suffer death so I found myself in death row that was one of the worst things to happen to my life I was separated from my family couldn't see my children again I couldn't see my wife couldn't see my parents I lost hope I lost dignity I lost friends no one could listen to me. I was rejected by the society inside prison and outside of prison. I was all alone. I felt rejected until I thought of committing suicide. This was the only solution because why am I leaving? If I can't live for my family, if I can't live for the society, if there is no one accepting me, there is no one showing me any kind of love. Only an to all around me. Why do I live? So I decided to take away my life. But I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't come to you know, hang myself and been sentenced to death. And the judge and said, I have to die through hanging by a rope until I'm certified dead. So I would wish that I could have a doctor to certify my death when I hanged myself. But still also I needed a rope to do that. And this is a maximum security prison where I couldn't assess ropes like The way I would like to. Um, to cut the story short, at that state, that's when I met a gentleman, a young man called William. He was, he was a first year student of law. In prison, we were with him at the death row. And he introduced me to Africa Prisons Project and told me that there is a program running in prison where people are are studying law. So can't you come instead of wasting your time and wasting yourself? Why can't you join us and do law? Furthermore, you've been an officer, so it's good for you to do it. But I thought, what for? I've been sentenced to death. (coughs) Help me. I have no future. Even if I attain a degree, I become a lawyer. I do whatever I will do with the law. It not help me. It won't help my children. It won't help anyone. So why go to school? And then at this age, it's my children who are supposed to be in school, not me. I, I didn't see any importance of the education they were inviting me to attend. So at first, I refused until when they left me with a criminal law book. And when I glanced through the book, I saw um, some details of um, disclosure of evidence. This is what I had been arguing about in court. I wanted some evidence to be disclosed before the court because that was the only way I could obtain my freedom. Or rather, that was the only way I could prove that I was innocent in court. The prosecution denied that access completely. But in the book, I saw some grounds, some points, which I could have used in court. So I got interested, and I realized, well, I have a chance. Even if it is another chance, at least I can be able to maybe see my children again. So it motivated me to go back to class. And I joined the academy. And once I entered that door, I found a different environment. I would see officers and students sitting together like you're sitting together here. Um, At the ones where we are staying, we could only we were allowed to um, come around four meters away from an officer and, and raise the officer squatting. You couldn't stand and say anything because that was punishable. And you could not come near to him, at all, as a death row inmate So this, I found people interacting, sharing stories, um, contributing to um, discussions. And it was an all new environment for me. And I found there was a lot of love in that class. And this motivated me to start standing. Ladies and gentlemen, when we go to school, every other time we go to school, we may think that we are going to school for the benefit of our parents, at the society, or as a normal way of life. Here in the UK, I think you have free education. So you have free opportunities to go to school. You come here for lectures. But to you, it's a normal thing to do. As a young person, maybe you want a degree, and it's, it's normal. But may I tell you one thing. You may not realize it. There is nothing as powerful as education in your life. There's nothing as important as education in your life. For those of us here who are parents, if you don't invest in Educating your child, I think you've done the worst mistake. A mistake which might cost a whole generation uh, badly in their life. But if you invest in education, you have really invested in the society as a whole, not only on that single life. Because once one brain, one mind, one soul is educated, It can be able to impact on the society as a whole, the community. And that is what we need. When we come to class here, we shall um, talk about um, people who invented things those uh, 17th, 16th century ago. But you don't see people inventing things today we are only copying things which were invented a long time ago. Our young people are not interested in digging further, understanding what they are reading further, and trying to come up with solutions of the current day problems we have in the world. And we have so many problems. One of them is injustice. Injustice might not affect you directly. But when it affects your neighbour, it is affecting you and your children and your family. This is what we should realise as a world. It is injustice which affected my life. I was taken to prison unjustly, wrongly charged and convicted. And as much as I was suffering alone, my whole family was also suffering. My whole community was suffering. The society was suffering because I could not be able to dispense justice in any way when I was incarcerated. But I started uh, going to class and things started changing. I found myself motivated to do what I thought could not be done before. And I looked up there, looked Around myself, I saw all walls, every corner of the of, of of the science, but up there, the sky was open, and I told myself, "There is nothing which can limit me to go to the sky. I can do it. It, did, it didn't matter that I was studying through correspondence in a very uncomfortable situation because." I was studying in a cell where we are. it's a four by six cell. We're staying there four, I um, mean in seven inmates. I'm alone, I'm the only one who is studying. All the other six are illiterates. You can't even tell them to keep quiet. They don't know what is silence. They just want to make noise, play cards, play games, talk loudly, and you want to concentrate. You want to to, to to study. You are standing a foreign subject to you. And the mode of education in UK is really different from the Kenyan mode. So I had to train myself to understand the concept of um, uh, legal topics. And I had to do it within that environment. Sometimes lights could go up even for four days a week. And my mother here, could come to class and tell me, you have to pass. We are paying these school fees for you. We, are st- we, are, we, are, we, are, we have sponsored you and you are studying for free. So we can't afford to lose that money. You have to pass. I had to. So I had to do all what was possible to study. And in the process, I learned that It was important for me and for the community and I also learned that when I was young I wasted my time and there are so many of us here who might be wasting their time without realizing it. Time waits for no man. So once you waste one second which you are supposed to be studying, realize that you have costed your life. It's a minus for you. So please I encourage you every day when you take your book, remember there are people who want to study and don't have that environment to do it. There are people who want to do things, but they don't have the opportunities. You've been given free of charge. You are elderly, you have the light, you have the comfort of a home or a house, even if you are paying the rent or or, um, or not. But that opportunity is there for you to do, whatever you're supposed to be doing. So I grabbed the opportunity which came my way. And six years down the line, I graduated with an ILLB in such circumstances. Leave alone graduation. In 2017, as Kade mentioned, As a class, we sat down and looked at the laws of the country and realized that the mandatory nature of our death sentence was condemning everyone else when committing even the slightest of offenses uh, to a a blanket death sentence. We were 7,000 of us in the death row and we were all waiting for the young man. But amongst us, there were very few bank robbers very few murderers. Most of us were phone snatchers, you no know, bread snatchers, mugging cases, very small cases, which did not qualify to be um, uh, uh, capital offenses. And therefore, we went and approached some lawyers asking them, can't we change this law? And the lawyers were like, no, you can't, because it's in the statutes. Can't change it. But without us in the box, we looked at the law, looked at our constitution, looked at the statutes, and saw a gap which we used. We went. We approached the Supreme Court and asked them, we are not closing the death sentence. We are only asking you to tell us or to declare whether this mandatory death sentence is constitutional according to our constitution. And the Supreme Court, went even a step further and gave us some pro bono lawyers who were to argue the case on our our behalf. We did the submissions and we convinced the court that the mandatory nature of death sentence in Kenya was unconstitutional. And they ruled so. And this changed the lives of all the 7,000 inmates who were in death row. They had to be given an opportunity to mitigate their cases they are to be given an opportunity to be resentenced again as as i speak here over 4000 of them have already gone home they've won their cases because their cases the, the sentences they are receiving now are proportionate to the offenses they committed which is justice being done on their cases but some of them have suffered that injustice for over 20 years I'm one of them. I suffered injustice for 13 years. I never thought I could come out of prison because I had found people in prison who were 40 years in prison. So I thought I would stay in prison for 40 years too. But after this uh, uh, Supreme Court ruling, I approached the court for my appeal and went and argued my case personally. I represented myself in court and argued. Um, under the grounds of unfair trial and I was able to convince the court that I had faced an unfair trial. The court agreed with me and set me free by quashing my sentence and conviction. I assessed justice after 13 years this is the time I was able now to go back to see my children. You can imagine that gap. It, injustice has costed my life a gap of a whole 13 years. Well, it's me and my family who might be feeling it directly. But I think you're also feeling it today. It's also affecting you today. I'm before you today speaking about it because I want you to understand what is injustice firsthand, and to look around yourself and see there are people suffering injustice in your presence and yet you're you're seated just there on your comfort zone doing nothing. Most of us are doing law, studying law but you are studying law maybe to go and do commercial law yeah, we're studying law to go and become judges. But we're not studying law so as to bring justice to the world. Statistics don't lie. Every one minute, a hundred people face injustice around the world. And some face injustice just where you are. But you ignore it because it is not, does not concern you. You fail to understand that that same injustice might happen to you without you doing anything wrong. Inasmuch as I took a bribe, which is not a good thing to do, inasmuch as I participated in that culture of taking bribes, as was known within the Kenya police force, I did not commit a capital offense against anyone. I was very innocent. But I suffered for 13 years because of the system and because there is injustice around us. I always asked myself, why is the law so blind to truth? Why can't they understand that I'm innocent? And how can they convict and sentence me to death when I'm innocent? Why are they separating me from my family when I'm innocent? those were questions which were crashing through my mind every other day every other hour during my prison life I passed through a very tough period during those those, those 13 years but I came out a winner after all that because I was focused I remained focused I wanted to achieve And I turned around the situation, the negative situation I found myself in, to a positive. When I came out from prison, I found a group of people who were being discriminated against in prison. They were not given parole because they had been sentenced on capital offenses. And I took this matter and went to court. Remember, I wasn't a lawyer yet. I complete, completed my uh, law degree last year uh, in December. This was in July. I wasn't a lawyer yet, leave alone being a barista. So I wasn't even supposed to go in court. But I took courage because I knew what I was doing, and I knew I was fighting injustice. and I went to court. And I addressed the court and asked the court to give me the opportunity to argue this petition on behalf of those guys four hundred fifty of them who are suffering that injustice in Kenya the discrimination part of it and I did it and they court agreed with me that it was injustice and declared a certain section of the law and constitutional tool and allowed the 400 inmates long-serving inmates to go home that was a successful justice it is what you can do today you you can just pick one of the injustices many of them which are happening around the world and act on it it doesn't matter whether you are qualified or not it matters that it is an injustice and you are fighting that injustice so anywhere around the world when you start fighting the, the injustice people will support you but if you don't act no one will care, no one will come up with it. It's upon us, each one of us, especially the lawyers within us, to cite and see where we face injustices in this world so that we can be able to do it. And please remember failing to go to school, failing to get educated, or coming to class just for the sake of it, because maybe your parent is pushing you to go to school, because maybe you feel, um, well, that's where my girlfriend is, or my boyfriend, so I want to make him happy, or her happy, so may I join the class? You are doing yourself a lot of disservice ensure that whenever you enter the class a lecture a workshop a seminar you are going there with a focus if you don't have the focus then there is no purpose there is no need for you getting the education maybe you can leave that opportunity to someone else who can be able to help our society we are living in a globalized world today it's not about United Kingdom. It's not about Africa. It's not about Kenya. It's about human beings, and we are all human. Let's not look at the color, the race, the geographical background of human beings, but let's look at who we are as a human society, and let's act on it. I will allow for questions.
0: OK. I'm going to hold this for a minute. Thank you so much, Maurice. Um, it doesn't, I don't fail to get moved by listening to your stories and the stories of your friends who are still in prison and who have been released. Um, you can see how I feel privileged, and, and it's, it's addictive, working with people who are so motivated to make change. And it, it might be a word that frightens some people, but they're activists. And, and I, like with, with, with Maurice, I urge you to be... Those, those people. So um, Kojo and Yurav, I've, I've employed you, you're going to take a, a pitch somewhere on either side of the, um, because we've got one, one microphone and they're going to run the microphone for us. But you might have questions, so in which case you're allowed to have a question too. Um, <laughs> okay, did you want to see, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be here just in case we have another, another microphone, but otherwise I'm be fine. After so
1: long, how did we reconnect with your family? After so long? Yeah. How did you reconnect with the family? Um, after 13 years, after when I was recor- um, um, set free, I went back home. The first thing I wanted to do was visit my father's grave. My father died while I was in prison. He was my best friend. I lost him while I was in prison. He was buried in my absence. I tried through the courts to go for his burial, but I couldn't. So I had to go and see his grave. After that, I wanted to see my children and my wife. So my, my first son was in, in, in school. My first daughter, who is 24 years, was home. So I met them with my wife. I hugged them. I was very happy to see them. But my last one, who, was, who is currently 14, saw me hugging his wife, my, my wife, his mother. And he was like, who is this gentleman hugging my, my mother? When he went throughout us, like, um, you know, like an ego, And then he observed me closely and ran back to his house. He had had my photograph in his bed. So he went to look at it because he saw something resembling what he knew to be his dad. And left him at one and a half months. So he went and looked at it and he came rushing to me and asking his mother, is this my dad? That's so how I reconnected with them. I had to hug him and we cried for hours. It was very painful, really painful. Thank
0: you. I'm going to keep the questions moving. Yurav, do you have a question before you take over the microphone? Okay, so if, if you between you would mind running a microphone around, um, and I'll help because I might know some names, otherwise we'll point together, okay? Okay, okay so questions, and I think I'm going to say, there is no elephant in the room. I think you are free to ask anything, however uncomfortable you might feel about it. Maurice, you are f- you are happy to talk about unspeakables, perhaps? Yes. yes? Okay. Yes.
1: Ask anything. Okay. Um,
0: okay. So, firstly, that was amazing. I like, have no words. But um, I just had a question about whether you think there should be like an alternative to the death penalty, um, like what your thoughts are on like life imprisonment.
1: I'm um, an advocate of uh, against the death, death penalty because I think always that uh, death penalty does not serve any purpose. The, the biggest purpose it was supposed to be serving was deterrence. But even up today, as we are sitting here, people are committing offenses, capital offenses out there, and they know there is death sentence. So, is it deterring? I would believe that if we could go run away from the current... Um, uh, Attitude which we have as a society that punishment helps fight crime and think of rehabilitating those people who are uh, committing crimes we shall be ending um, uh, we shall be producing people from prison who can be able even to help us deter crime and reduce the crime rates in this way that once someone has committed a crime and is taken to prison and he finds a rehabilitative course or program in prison and does one and comes out a changed person. That would be an added advantage to the society. Instead of taking someone to prison, sentencing him to die, what does it help? I killed him. I killed his sister. I killed his mother. And I'm, I'm, I'm killed. Tit for that. It doesn't help. Your sister would get up again from the grave. So why do we continue advocating for um, death penalty? I think it is the perception we have as a society that it can help us fight it, fight crime. But it's wrong. The best thing we should do, and even statistics can show this, recidivism is still a problem within our systems in the prison system. Because I know, it's obvious. I will be arrested today, sentenced for two years, and then, okay, I'll come back and do the crime and get back again, and I'll go out and come back. But if I go to prison for those two years, I find an accommodation for um, rehabilitation, I get some programs which can rehabilitate me and change my mindset from being a criminal to a good person in the society, productive person in the society, that would be important to us as a society. And that way we can be able to fight crime. That's why we are changing the name from Africa Prison Project to Justice Defenders. Because we want to go out there to the society and try to curtail the number of people who are getting into prison. Not only removing people from prison, but stopping them from going to prison, from committing crime. By trying to introduce rehabilitative programs within the society. Not only in prisons, and this might help. Life sentence too does not help as much. So I think I would believe that if we have a definite life sentence, like in Kenya, a life sentence means the whole of your life. But if we are trying to introduce laws there, so as to um, uh, to, to to have a definite sentence, such that a twenty-year sentence. For an offence, a serious offense like terrorism, would be better than a death sentence for a terrorist who will not even change, and do will not deter, which will not deter the terrorist from committing terrorism acts. But if we have a terrorist in prison for 10, 20 years, he comes out a reformed person, he might be able even to help us as a society to identify. Areas which we can tap into to stop radicalism or something like that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> so, should we keep the questions going? Is that, was that Jeremy's, uh, Jeremy over there?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Morris. Thank you very much for your wonderful talk. I was just wondering if you could explain those photos to us. What's
0: going on? Who are these people?
1: motive. Um, Where do I start? Okay, here. This is the first photo. This one is in our law class in community maximum prison. Those are our law students um, and tutors. Uh, They were praying for me after my release, after I won my appeal as I was going home. And the top one is as I got out of prison, Having been escorted by um, my colleagues within the Africa uh, Prisons Project office in Nairobi. And I didn't believe that I was in a free man at this picture. I thought that uh, I was dreaming. Because I, at that point, that is a point I had never reached before for the last 13 years without an escort. Or in not without being in a vehicle. So I was walking on my own feet with no escort, no one looking at my, you know, for me and I, I, I was a free man and I thought, oh the world is here, this is what I've been looking for, this is what I've been fighting for and now I can go and see my children. Here this is the Office and Challenge Committee um, as I bid him bye, just at the gates so, I think that's it.
0: Thank
1: you. This one is uh, a April... vision. I would like to write a book. Maybe I'll use this as
0: can I and I'd just like to add there is that in this one that one of our students who was out in Kenya in September she was the last one remaining there you'd been out there Kelly and Nikita hadn't you but she stayed an extra month and she actually was Lindsay was part of your release as well wasn't she, she was part of the team of people who came out to meet you and the other thing significant, an officer in charge in Kenya is the, what we would call a prison governor, the person who is in charge. So there's that, that warmth there, and, and that's something that really you have to see this, this lovely relationship and genuinely wanting it to happen. Should we have another question? I'll let you choose. <laughs> would, would, you, would you like to suggest someone?
1: Then next.
0: And we'll, we'll try and keep them shorter so as gets many. Otherwise, we're going to run out of time because there will be a lecture going on at, at 2 o'clock. And how, what, can we, what more can we do to fight systems of corruption to ensure no others end up in the position you are in?
1: <coughs> um, I'm there. Um, corruption is, is one of, um, of the worst shameful behaviors we have as Africans, especially as Africans. But I know corruption is everywhere in the world. We can only fight corruption through change of attitude. <coughs> as much as we should punish those people who are corrupt, we should also be recovering the process of corruption before we allow them to spend time in prison. That would be more important for us as a, as a society, as a, as a country, instead of just punishing them, and we don't get anything in return. So I'll commit an, an, a corrupt um, offense, corruption offense, and go to prison, come back out, and use the process to benefit myself and my family, not the society. But if the system is, I am found guilty of corruption, they ensure that I return the process of that corruption, corrupt deal, then definitely the society will benefit. But then we should talk about it. We should be speaking about it as a society because it is a a disease for me and you. Even if you are not involved in it. And don't forget, any corrupt deal is two-sided. There is a receiver and a giver. I'll give you a deal, maybe a government contract, and you give me some kickbacks. Maybe I'll bribe you like I used to get bribes. It's you who give me the bribes. So it, it, is, it, is, it is something which is contagious, and we can only stop it by speaking about it and changing our attitudes towards it. We need to be to, to not to pretend the way we do. Like in Africa, churches are developing everywhere. Every time you go, you pass a street, the next morning you find a church with a funny name. Tomorrow <laughs> you come the other side, you find another church with another funny name. People call themselves Christians, religious people. But their behaviors are not religious. Their behaviors are not They're not conforming to Christian values. So I think we should stop lying about ourselves. Stop living the lie. And let's leave the talk as we advocate for a corrupt, free world.
0: Thank you. Perhaps I I can direct things a little bit. Is there anybody here from the Christian Union or the Catholic Society or anything like that? Could I... the mic. We have the great. Okay. Um, I came from the staff Christian network, uh, all Thank Faith network. Did. My question for you would be: um, What would your advice be to somebody who is experiencing injustice, but is too frightened to speak up for fear of being not being believed, and therefore experiencing further injustice?
1: That was my position when I was in court, when I undergoing my trial. I found myself facing injustice. And whenever I went to anyone to tell him what the just act was, no one would believe me. People tend to believe the government side, the state, more than they would believe you. Most women will face instances of either rape, defilement, but when they go speaking out about it, They find a very um, negative uh, response from the community. My advice to such people is never lie low. Be courageous enough. Speak up. Don't mind whether they are listening to you, whether they agree with you, whether they believe you, but just keep on speaking about it. Because this is the only way we can be able to announce the injustice. And someone somewhere will hear it. A Maurice somewhere will hear you speaking about it. And they'll come there and try to help you out. But if you are silent, if you feared, if you are afraid to speak out, they don't know about it. I'll just pass by and I think things are not... But if you speak out and we know about it, we can be able to sort out that injustice. The only way to fight injustice is speaking out loudly about it.
0: Thank you. Can we take another question maybe to the other somebody over here who was desperate. can we get the microphone over this side of the room? bit of equality?
1: We have one here.:
0: And we are, we're going to be running towards our, we are pushing it time-wise, so it might have to be, if we can make it a short question, short answer, maybe another question, yes. and I think we'll then have to conclude, but we can always congregate a little bit outside.
1: Okay. Okay. First of all, I really enjoyed your talk. Um, it made my heart full to hear you talk about your children. Um, I'm from the Bahamas, and we do have an issue with police corruption. And I believe I can speak for the rest of the Caribbean as well, and say that generally, that's an issue we face. So, really, my question for you, having been on a force where um, corruption is an issue, how do you think that governments and civilians can work together to combat that issue? Like, what can the governments do from an executive level to try to fight police corruption? So. As citizens. We also have a role to play, to stop corruption in, in, within the police, around the world. Because um, generally we, we tend to live with the police force as enemies, as our enemies. Instead of knowing that they are our brothers, they are sisters, they are our fellow human beings. So what we need to do is develop new curriculums in police colleges. Because that's where the, st- the problem starts. That's where the beginning of corruption in police forces is, in the police services is, all our services. I think the way we are trained in colleges is the problem. If you look at a military training, it's different. Though they're not uh, mostly interacting with the, with the civilians, so they don't have those opportunities as, as the police do. But if training in the training. we can be able to introduce um, um, systems which can be used, maybe, uh, to point out issues of corruption and to change the, the attitude of even the officers who are already in service who have inculcated a, 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 a culture of, of corruption. This might help. There's no way out without... Just, a of the train. I just lost your yeah. microphone there. This, this
0: occasionally happens. That's not just me. Ah, okay. Yes. So shall we? That's great. So can we have one more question? A,
1: um, this one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. um, Do you want
0: to pass that I microphone? i loud enough. Oh, it's just the microphone won't pick it up. So we're recording. Um, oh, right, Sorry. Yes. Thanks, Matt. I just wondered if, you, given the massive amount of injustice and lack of justice in Britain itself, I wonder if you've got advice about how we can get more justice here, just as the African Prisons Project's working on more justice in certain places in Africa. I don't know how far you extend, and I'd be interested, having visited the um, death penalty project, where I know work in East Africa have been invited there, but um, perhaps you can throw that in. I think this is a perfect question to conclude, isn't it, in terms of where African Prisons Project is going? Yeah.
1: As, as uh, Africa, well, right now we are North Africa Prisoners Project. We are changing to criminal, I mean to justice defenders. We are changing from only criminal based, criminal based um, um, injustices to even civil injustices. We, are, we want to spread. We don't want to be just Africa, African. And we don't, we don't want to, 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 to be just in prisons. We want to go to the community there. We, are, we have been invited in UK prisons and we have invited even UK prison officers to visit our prisons in Kenya to see for themselves how a relationship between a prison officer and a prisoner can be maintained. Because here it's, it's a big problem. The relationship itself is not there. They cannot even relate well. And that's why you find there is a number, an, increase, an increased number of suicidal um, issues in our prisons. There, is, um, there are riots in prisons because there is no relationship between the prison authorities and the, pri- and the prisoners. There must be some cultural change, tradition. The tradition which is here might change. And we can only do that by coming in, showing them. Maybe you, you may have been our colonialists, but I think Africa has something to teach you too. And if you accept that, if you, are, you, 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 you embrace Um, coming to Africa, think for yourself our prison systems, how they are working I think you can learn a lot from it because if we need to change this world if we need to drop the crime rates around the world we need a system where we can be able to produce reformed, rehabilitated prisoners from prison and the society to accept them back because we also also have a problem with that we are never accepted when we come from prison, we are marked, and we are marked as criminals, not, not as reformed human beings. So I think we need to change this, and it's, it's a long way, but it can be done. I believe there is nothing impossible. There is no limit to what we can be able to achieve as a society, and, and uh, Justice Defenders is one of the organizations which can really teach you how to believe in yourselves. I want to know that there is no limit of what you can do to fight injustice. And injustice is everywhere. It's in our churches. It's in our families. It's in our communities. It's in the laws. It's in the statutes. It's everywhere. Thank you.